Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. We're, we're joined by Carl, we call him Prince Twinkie, Prince uh, and we've got Alex Coos and we've got Matt Crozier from Australia on the horn. What do you want to talk about? Man, there's, there's a lot to talk about. A ton to talk about. Oh, man, we, the, the summer is packed with all kinds of stuff coming from Mantic, which I'm sure... If people have seen the teasers that we did just, uh, what was it, last week? Last weekend? Uh, halflings, I think, have a lot of hype to them. There's some fantastic sculpts that are coming out for those guys. Uh, I think that uh, we teased something for late in the year that probably has uh, some people very curious to see what's going to be happening there. And it, the big thing for me is that we've been working on this Clash of Kings book for the bulk of the year. And I think that you know, Halpy's Rift was was a good thing for a COVID year, but now things are, are getting back into the swing. You know, we've got events going on, and, and people want to see some some life injected into the game, and, and this book is going to be a colossal example of what we can do for Kings of War, what third edition I think was intended to be, what we sort of laid the foundation for. We, we talk about, you know, keywords and auras and all those things that were built out with the base profiles in third edition that base rule book uh clash of kings is really gonna tear into that and kind of open it up yeah and my understanding is now kyle that you're the uh you're the iron fist ruler of the of the rules committee we we could call it that um <laughs> i i see the thing is mantic didn't have the same kind of presence currently in third edition you know with, with what's going on the design behind things uh the design studio plus what the rules committee wanted. We needed to cross that bridge. And so we had a lot of conversations behind the scenes and decided that uh, I should I should step in there and kind of make sure that the direction that Mantic wants and the direction that the rules committee want are matched up, that things make sense and, and we're marrying those two ideals. How, how do you feel that's going as, a, as I guess as a bit of a new direction? I think it's going fantastic. I think that people will see that in the Halflings army list uh, especially. It's it's a new way of kind of combining what we wanted to do in the studio. Like we talk about the, uh, the new tooling that was done for the halflings, the 10-5 on that frame. When, when you have that, you have to be able to sell the models that are on that core, core sprue. You know, when you talk about just 20 goblins for a regiment, uh, the army and mega army deals are pretty good options because they've got the giants and the mincers and all those kind of things in the boxes, but that core sprue has to have good rules behind the models. So the halflings are a really good example of that first step in that direction. And I really hope we continue that because a lot of what Mantic's done over the years with models is not cavalry. You know, if you look at the Northern Alliance release more recently, we haven't done the the new cavalry sculpt in quite some time. So having the infantry and cavalry on one frame, that allows us to make sure that the players and how people are playing Kings of War lead them to buying more Mantic models. Yeah, and having been on the playtesting, I think we're going to see some super flavor out of Halfling Town, don't you reckon? Oh, I absolutely. Mean, I think it's just, it's, it's some, there's some stuff in there that we haven't seen in Kings before, and I think people are going to really love it. Yeah, that's that's the idea. So getting some, some new play styles into the mix, because, I mean, if we're honest, right now, 3rd Edition has a lot of balance, but maybe at the sake of flavor. 
Would you guys agree on that? Mm-hmm. I think it, it settled into a pretty like s- steady state pretty quickly, and now I think it's it's definitely ready for some absolutely flavor injection. Yeah, so th- that's that's the objective with Clash of Kings. Uh, there's quite a bit of flavor. Great uh, example of like how Mantic ties in with the community the way it, like the way it always has, but maybe even taking it to the next level with your position with the rules committee. Like, involved, like the rules committee itself is great, but like having a direct connection, keep that in line. I think it's a really good way of working with everyone, keeping everyone mm-hmm. happy. Sure. I mean, when you look at some things that Mantic have done, we've, we've done some really nice monster sculpts, but those those things aren't necessarily the most popular things in the list. So how do we get the rules committee to implement ways to make them more approachable? Uh, you know, Dustin excluded, who, you know, loves the monster mash approach. Uh, we, we want to... We want to make sure that those those heavy resin kits that have a higher cost to them and their, their centerpiece models really have a place on the table within the rules. So... Things like that are, are a good indication of how it's going to change in, in Clash of Kings. I was talking with Keith last Keith Randall yesterday, or Friday night, and we were just talking about how it's you know, it's good to have options, but we want you know as players, you want every option to be at least viable and, and interesting, if not like optimal in each army list. So, like, you know, yeah, and I, I think what we're saying with the monsters too is probably a little bit of an unintended consequence of the. Um, the whole unit strength scoring in a lot of scenarios, right? Sure. Um, so, yeah, it, it's hard to find an eloquent solution for that. With the master and theme list mechanic that we have in so many armies, I think that, you know, when you, when you look at a master list and you have to carry units over, that that subtracts flavor. If you have elves that are available in Sylvankin and elves that are available in Twilightkin from the master list and they have the exact same profiles, it's kind of hard to to mix up what they can do to make the army unique. So one of the things, one of the barriers that we wanted to take down is that, you know, some of those profiles could get tweaked in, in Clash of Kings so that the master list units did have a slightly different approach to them. So that's something that I think people can look, look forward to because whether you're taking a theme list, it, it's going to give you different options. I, I think that Can you give us an example of that, Kyle? Oh, you guys are dirty. <laughs> he, opened the do- he opened the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking about elves. You know, we, we, Glade Stalkers are a pretty popular yeah. unit right now. Those sort of regiments of things. You, you know, if we if we look at those and what they do in elves, and what they do in Sylvankin, and what they do in Twilight King, currently it's the exact same thing. So, if you would want to introduce rules that would separate them, obviously you need to do something that gives it to the flavor of the army. And you know, for example, if you want. Uh, Sylvankin, something that could separate them from from the regular elves, is you could do a ignores cover rule for those particular ones. So that their shots, you know, they're hitting on fours as usual, but all of a sudden they're not taking cover penalties. And that suddenly makes them different from elves. Uh, maybe the regular elves could have a higher melee score. Maybe the Twilightkin could have an entirely special rule that separates them. So things like that can, can really help. Uh, I love how you're saying, I'm, I'm loving, yeah, could. 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 Well, nothing set in stone <laughs> right now, anyway. It's yeah. not printed yet. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's um. I think that's a fantastic way to inject some flavor. Is take that base profile, but you know, yeah. um, change it up per per well, list. That's like the the beauty of Kings of War is like everything is governed by like the same general rules, but like there's like small tweaks that have like you know very broad effect or more interesting effect. It doesn't have to be like a giant you know, game-changing special rule. Just a little bit of flavor here and there makes a big difference. That's that's yeah, the so approach. Kyle, um, 
Yeah, my, my understanding is, is we're looking at a, a reasonably vast amount of changes. Um, how, how big are we looking at this book being? Uh, it's, it's well over 100 pages from what my understanding is. Yeah, wow. And, it, and it's not, you know, in, in past years we've had campaign stuff and different, you know, filler that goes in there. This is, this is all, all the good stuff, all the filler, all the good things that you want to see. So everybody's going to have multiple pages. If you remember, like, the Clash of Kings 18 book, that was a really good book. There was a lot of things in there that, that opened up new possibilities. We, we, we always look at new artifacts, new spells. You know, there was formations in that book. There's, there's tons of new ways that we can introduce things and flavor that really start to separate the armies. But balance is obviously important, too. You have to maintain what you're doing uh, in a way that, that you don't throw things off. I'm assuming you're going to work with Easy Army to make those updates, you know, for the, for the subscribers live from day one. Yeah, that's, that's been the approach with Easy Army from the start. Uh, obviously, working with Greg, he's a third party to what we do, but we try to get him as much information as possible as soon as possible and, and give him the deadline that this is when the book is releasing and our subscribers need to have that available right away. We saw a shadow on the release that you alluded to. Can you give us any, uh, any info on that, Kyle? It looks pretty nifty. I mean, I've seen a lot of guesses for what people... I uh, think it might be good neutral evil maybe <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of hard to say it's uh it's a it's a gorgeous sculpt um that's Looks one like it that might have wings wings where did you see wings i didn't see any wings does it fill yeah. a hole in an army list or is it new it's new oh maybe i'm thinking it's new. i don't know maybe i'm just wishful thinking it's wishful thinking my <laughs> yeah no it's new yeah it's new Right, and so, uh, so part of a, a new model or part of a new range, would you say, Kyle? That's, that's a really good question. I mean, if it's new and it doesn't fill an existing... <laughs> the money's got to be as part of the Halfling range, right? Maybe. Yeah. Is, it, is it on the map currently? Or it's some other additional thing that they're adding to an existing army list. There's, there's, part of details, there's yeah. details in the fluff of Halpy's Rift that no one's read. See, they always tell us that, and nobody ever reads it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm wondering if there. I'm wondering if Carl's using Mantic as a you know as a. Just <laughs> <laughs> practice. It's important. See, if Ronnie was here and he were drunk, uh, he, there'd be all kinds of stuff that would be spilling out of his mouth right now. So it's it's only what 11 a.m. something like that. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the question but the question is, Carl, is how much of it is correct? <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie has a good grasp of what's going on. Yeah, Nightcrawlers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, can you give us any other exclusives at the moment? So Halflings, what are you most excited about about Halflings? It, for me personally, I think it's the play style. It, that's, that's something that, you know, you've seen the list, I'm assuming is in playtesting. You, you kind of have an idea what it looks like. And in, in the current scope of Kings of War and how you play, I, I really like the idea of units that can get taken off the board and it doesn't completely defeat your your approach i have done a lot of you know i did alpha strike heavy with my undead i did kind of combined arms with my twilight kin and this halflings army is is a very finessey synergistic kind of list and it's done in a way that i think has a ton of flavor and i think is going to be a lot of fun to play and a lot of fun to play against because there's nothing that you know you think there's comparisons that have been made against goblins You, you think that a lot of the profiles are probably going to be similar, and they are. But when you're playing goblins, it, it kind of feels like you're grinding your teeth a little bit throughout that game. And I don't think that halflings have that same 
sort of feel to them. I think that they're they're really a lot of fun and the different auras and things that you can put out that give them bonuses, you have to play smart with them to, in order to get them to actually do anything of value. And putting those things together are really nice. Uh, the unit compositions, you know, we tease the mounted trolls with the halflings, you know, mounted on them with rifles, things like that, and having the ability to mix, com- you know, combined arms with shooting and combat, that's great. But the amount of maneuverability that that halfling army has is kind of staggering. I mean, I, I think that it really speaks to the core of Kings of War and protecting your angles and arcs. Uh, the the, the kind of nimble maneuvers that they can pull off are ridiculous. So I just think it's a lot of fun. They're not going to hit hard, but if they do hit you on the flank, then that definitely counts. And if they're throwing auras in on top of that, then there are bonuses to their charges and uh, all, all that's lots of fun. And it's kind of a little a meta, meta adjustment because they've got the spell ward rule, which is basically stealthy for spells. So, you know, lightning bolt heavy lists, not going to do so great against them. But, you know, if you do take shooting, it probably would be pretty effective. They're, they're mostly defense four. So uh, it's just a new way to play, a new kind of counter to other things, and, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. Can I lay a lot of people's fears that it's going to be there are going to be stealthy goblins? Because I think like before you know we started learning anything about the new units, people are like, well, what are they going to do with it? So I think that's a lot, that's a really interesting path kind of to differentiate the two armies. Oh yeah, they're they're um I think I think like Kyle said, some of the vibe is gobliny, but. They're definitely not stealthy goblins, you know. I think some profile-wise, and I think I think uh, yeah, they're going to bring some really interesting playstyles. I, I wouldn't necessarily say they're a beginner list. Would you, you agree? Yeah, definitely not. I think that you need to have some experience with these guys. Yeah, but um, you know, there's there's some cool stuff in there. Well, what else have we got on the on the docket? You got a bunch of other stuff coming out, right? Not just halflings. I mean, if we're talking outside of Kings of War, there's quite yeah, a bit of stuff. Armada's the new expansion's out now, right? For, yeah, the, see, see a flame. See a flame. See a flame. There, there's, there's a huge expansion to Armada just because uh, I think that when we take the base game of Black Seas and then sort of just put our romantic twist on it, you you want to expand it more into a fantasy realm. Black Seas is a purely historical game, and we've pulled over quite a few you know historical gamers into Armada that I think that. Uh, They've enjoyed it so far, but they're looking for that little bit of extra fantasy element. And Armada really just—it just took off way more than I think anyone even at Mantic expected or hoped for. And it's—it's it's forcing us to expand internally. You know, we've had to hire additional resin casters and, and new machines for resin, and and all of that is good because those those fringe games that I think everyone sort of—I I know I did when I first. Or before I came on with Mantic, I thought, why are they why are they spreading themselves so thin? Why are they looking at all these other games and and trying to expand that way? Uh, but really, those things feed into each other. When Armada is successful, Kings of War becomes more successful. We can design more things for Kings of War. Uh, those universes really do play off of each other and, and get us to grow. And if you look at the amount of miniatures that we're coming out with in in 2021 overall, between everything that's released this year to now on, on top of what's going on with Armada there's so much and certain things you know certain flyers and, and things that are coming into Armada with the boats uh, they could probably make their way into Kings of War and and the rules that are available for them can kind of give us an idea okay this is how this should work in Kings of War once it comes over so and, and you never know if, if, if Armada has a success that way maybe we could develop a different type of game that is purely like flyer combat for Kings of War you know it, all kinds of fun ways that we can expand the universe mm. 
I've, I've got a very serious question about that, Kyle. Was was the dwarf like butthole your idea? It was not, no. no. <laughs> but let's be honest, would he admit to that if it was? <laughs> Does the person whose idea it was still work at Mantic? <laughs> they do, yes. <laughs> Those studio guys, what they want to do is they, they want to take things and, and put unique twists on them. They don't want to redo a lot of what's done. And I think Ronnie was actually a big part of it with dwarves. He didn't want to see helicopters. You know, he, he didn't want that GW copy to come in. And I, I appreciate the effort, but the thing that I like about Mantic more than anything is that we actually listened. We didn't just push the, the model out. We, we made the adjustment. We knew that people wanted us to do something different, so we decided it needed to happen. We had a big conversation about this last night, and you only have two choices. You can be original, or you can do what's already out there better. Right. Right? Those are your only two choices. Sometimes, original is the way to go. You get your own IP, you get your own completely unique thing. Sometimes, hey, halflings, there's lots of halfling models out there, yeah. but if you can just come out and do it better, then that's okay too. Yeah, well, and I think the important thing is is that we listen to feedback, right, on the yeah. flying buttholes. Yes. You know, they're no longer... Flying buttholes, is that what we called it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're a little sphinctering. something unique, when you do something unique, there's a risk involved, right? Sometimes outside the box is a hit, sometimes then you get a different box. <laughs> Well, it depends on the box and what's in the box, right? The, the thing that I didn't like about the, the flying worm, uh, I have to be PC here. Um, the, the thing that I didn't like about it is that all the other flyer options for Armada actually had two different completely sculpts. So, like, when you buy a Armada flyer for 18 bucks, you're, you're getting two different models in that blister. So the dwarves had the exact same model twice and, and one had you know a mounted gun on it and the other one didn't and, and that wasn't enough of a change in my mind either. I think if they had something that was more traditional and the flying worm maybe it would have gone over better. Yeah true yeah yeah that's a good point yeah so, so like like a like a flying phallus and a flying butthole is that what right, you mean? Right right oh. that'd be perfect yeah 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 <laughs> so what else we got coming out for Armada we got the expansion book we got the flyers Twilight Kin Fleet coming out when? Twilight Kin Fleet's going to be next month. So, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, I'm a Twilight Kin fan. I've been for quite a while. I, I started second edition with them, and uh, to see them getting more of a light in Kings of War, th those are good things to see because it kind of gives you an idea that we intend to eventually produce models for Kings of War for those, too. You know, why would you create stuff in Armada and then not do anything in Kings of War for them? Well, I think Armada gives you the ability, though, you can put your own spin on Twilight Kin at the Armada scale. Mm -hmm. It's less effort, right? Like, it's okay, it's boats and stuff. Um, and then that will influence when you're ready to put the resources to the, to the kingdom, you know, the, king, the uh, Kings of War army. Yeah. It, the, you with, can develop the, the aesthetic yeah. and style. I mean, the Empire of Dust have probably been the most popular fleet so far. They're awesome looking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's the, yeah. the way that they're sculpted is that very traditional fantasy. And I, I think that they hearken back to that sort of Egyptian aesthetic quite a bit. And I think people like that quite a bit. So I know that Empire of Dust is an army that we'll be looking at uh, filling out and expanding and, and moving away from the conversion kits that we currently well, have. Well, I hate the hybrid kits. Yeah. Right? Like you're trying to, it's no offense to anybody, but trying to glue metal to plastic, it's just no good. It's no bueno. Yeah. No, we, we definitely know that. And I, I think that we've learned a lot of lessons throughout... COVID, throughout the way that the price structure of things have changed, 
uh, th there's a lot of things that we've taken away and sort of know what direction that our purchasers want to move in to, to keep things positive, to keep the, the actual transactions happening. Because, you know, when you look at Empire of Dust and their sales numbers, it's not anywhere near what Abyssal Dwarves are. And some of that's due to the aesthetic of the models, right? Yeah, absolutely. Not just the rules, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and then your new errata just totally bone giant so <laughs> right so that, that's not that's gonna hurt sales a little bit right well you don't make bone giants so it doesn't really matter i guess some of what i love with that those new armada models is just minute miniaturizing existing models right and i think they look so good like the mini phoenix the mini wing you know i think i think that's a great ideas so that you've got that kind of carryover into kings sure Th those models are a lot smaller than i think people realize i mean they are really tiny so the detail on them is is kind of difficult to pick out, but they'll also be really easy to paint. Uh, they, they're smaller than the tiny size ships. They, they're on that same thirty mil base, but they're they're very small with little details. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, okay. the the Basilean one has the uh, altar. I, it looks kind of like a just it's a flying ship with a big you know idol on top of it. Uh, the Twilight Kin have the Gorge Rake and then the guard, gargoyles. I love the Gore Drake. It's 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 a gorgeous like double-headed demon dragon looking thing, and it's just super cool. cool. So, uh, I, I those things. Kings of War. Yeah, yeah, love to see those things coming to Kings of War. So, you know, something we talked about last night. Sometimes people get frustrated. They're like, "Oh, you're putting resources into this board game or this other thing," and I think you're here. You can talk about it. You know, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, right? Sometimes. Putting resources to that is not about diverting resources from Kings of War. It's about putting resources to something where you can make some money. And then that puts money into the coffers, which then can additional stuff. So you got Overdrive coming out, right? That's Is that a fall release? Overdrive is a fall release. Uh, I think right now it's slated for October, I believe. So, you know, our, our fall is a major period. Anything in retail, when you're looking at releases, you want your sort of October release to carry you through the holiday season and, and to get a lot of purchases to go in. So uh, every year, that's that's our big highlight. Last year was Armada. So what do you have to replace it for this year? There's also another major release that uh, we've uh, we've teased about that's going to be in that slot. Well, we know it's not going to be Airplane Game because you said it's a possibility down the road, no, right? You so you, you don't have your version of uh, Aeronautica Imperialis no, coming no, out. No, no, no. Not yeah. quite. But I think that, you know, the summer preview, we sort of teased some things. I did a little teaser video that uh, I, on, on Dead Zone, containment protocols 3.0 have been initiated. So uh, that should be a very exciting time. Dead Zone's been a really... Uh, a cool Dead Zone might be your best game, let's be honest. It's a very good <laughs> it's game. It's a very good game. Yes. Yeah, it scratches a lot of itch, and it obviously hits that sci-fi uh, genre, which, let's be honest, a lot more... I mean, a lot of fantasy guys, but I mean, sci-fi guys are... Um, there's a ton of them. All of those games play into what we like to do. I think that a lot of people may not realize how small Mantic really is and how each of the staff Well, has how small is it? We've In the past, it was 27 people. Has it grown since then? Yeah, I think we're over 30 now. Okay. It's, it's, it's getting bigger. Uh, in, in the U.S., I know eventually we'll probably want someone else here in addition to me at some point uh, just to continue to expand. Our West Coast region has expanded quite a bit. You know, what Well, your, your problem is you do such a good job that manufacturing can't keep up. That actually is kind of a problem. I got yelled at. There's a fun story by the entire staff over there because it, we, we had so many orders that were in kind of a backlog state. I think at one point there was like half a million orders. 
half a million dollars worth of orders that were sitting pending, you know, for a month or more waiting to go. And, and they could not get stuff out the door faster than it was coming in. And that was kind of the problem. The UK still had additional restrictions and lockdowns of what could happen. And uh, I kept bringing it up. And, and eventually Ronnie just sort of snapped and said, all right, we all work in the warehouse now and sent everybody at HQ. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. There was a there was a lovely video that got sent around where they all went around the building and said, thanks, Kyle. Because they all had to but, do things. But legitimately, and, there is a thank you there, right? You're forcing their hand. Like, you have a capacity restraint. Now you you got to increase it. Yeah. We actually stopped taking orders altogether, and they got a bunch of it out, and we're, we're all caught up now. So it, it, I think that sort of opened up the idea that we may need to do that uh, occasionally just to make sure that stuff doesn't get backed up again. Um, so it, it's, it's a good thing, but it's growing pains. You know, it, I, I think Mantic is kind of consistently struggled with growing pains, which is a, it, it's a good problem to have. It's better than struggling to actually, you know, keep the business afloat. Uh, but all those fringe games help in that. You know, all, everything that we do is is getting product out to different customers and audiences. And, and it, the thing that we find more than, more than not is that the people who play Dead Zone eventually cross over into Kings of War or vice versa. You know, Tyler Schultz is in this room and he played nothing but the sci-fi games and... We, we, did you predict he was going to table Tom Annis? I did not. No, he did fantastic. But he though. he did. He predicted it last night. Yeah, that he was going to slaughter him. Dead, dead zone is great practice for Kings of War. Help you beat undead. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, just on that, uh, I mean, I think growing pains is good, but at some point, you know, the the uh, I don't want to say it's an excuse, but at some point that kind of wears thin as well, right? But also, just just coming back to um, Armada, so we've seen previously with Vanguard as being a bit of a training ground for stuff we want to release at the King's Awards. You see Armada might become that as well. For example, with the, um, would you call it the Twilight or I, I would certainly like to see that happen. Um, there, there's a little bit of trepidation with with Armada and, and the growth because it, it, it was so successful at launch, you know, and, and it takes so much resource to produce the amount of models that we've had to do for them. Uh, at, at what point does that fall off or does it fall off? Does it continue to grow? You know, do you bring in permanent help to continue to see it maintain its current pace or, you know, does it actually fall off a cliff and then we end up having too many people for not enough uh, actual product to go out the door? So, I think that's the trepidation. I think that's the concern that, that Ronnie might have with just, you know, completely permanently growing. We never know what game is going to take off and go to the moon and what game is going to leave the atmosphere and then come crashing back down. So, And, and, and in a very weird climate. Yeah, it couldn't have been Sorry. easy for any business, let alone like, you know, a small business trying to grow into a medium-sized business or, you know, a, a large, small business. That's a, that's a good segue, Alex, too. You know, let's talk about price increases, right? Yep. Industry, like, GW's announced it, Warlord's announced it, you guys haven't, I mean, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it sort of is what it is. It is what it is. Um, it, it, so many of the components of what we do all had price increases that were coming to us and, and our prices hadn't changed. You know, when you when you just look at a shipping container that you have to purchase to get plastic from China to the UK, we we had a boat that was stuck in the canal during all that stuff. Like it, it's well, it's crazy. I've heard some numbers like uh, a container might used, used to cost from China three thousand dollars. Now it's twenty thousand yes. dollars plus, and that's yes. if they'll even take it. 
Yes. Because it's almost like the highest bidder type it stuff. It is. Yeah. It's exactly how it's working right now. And that's that's the problem. It, you know, your profit margins literally disappear when, when things like that happen. And even, even the basics of flying stuff to the U.S., you know, from a, a UPS shipment that comes to a retailer where... In most cases, when when they give you a you know a certain order size, we're shipping it to them for free, so we're just eating that cost. But if that cost keeps rising and rising and rising, we just need a distribution center in your backyard. I agree. In your garage, you can be like you know get the family involved, <laughs> you know. You're, you're out in the middle of nowhere. You just put an airstrip in your backyard. <laughs> My backyard is like a valley. Fly cargo plane. Yeah, just like cargo planes to your, uh, your house. Everything. I, I know that the sort of long-term plans for Mantic are to have, you know, an HQ and a distribution center here in the U.S. Uh, it it got set back a bit by COVID, but it cost on everything went up. And, and when we looked at it, and I think that the, the resins in particular were the area that uh, you'll see the largest increases. On the whole, the price changes are going to be a five or ten dollar bump. You know, a regiment box that's that's thirty bucks now is going to go to thirty-five. It's not terrible. Um, the arm, the mega army boxes that are, you know, one fifty are going to go to one sixty. So it, it's not it's not a huge thing. But when you have to do it across the range, there are certain kits. Uh, you know, the frost giant, for example. I think it's it's getting like a thirty dollar bump. Because the regular giant is is fine. It's all plastic. It's one piece. But then when there's that much resin in the frost giant, the amount of a labor that we've had to increase, uh, and b the resin just had a higher cost than we realized. So certain things are going to see higher bumps, and, and it's really going to be around the resin kits, which is unfortunate because I think that everyone really likes our resin. But at the same time, you know the quality really does speak to the higher price point too. It's like two thirds of the giant in resin. In addition to the yeah. giant kit, right? So yeah, you get the whole giant can and a whole bunch of extra resin. The uh, the metal it's is actually it. getting it's converted over too. Giants. Good, good, good. We uh, ogre players lament, you know, metal hunters, metal berserkers. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, on the price increase sheet that we had, uh, there's a bunch of those metal kits. You know, worm riders, earth elementals, things that have been metal for such a long time. It, it, they're all marked convert to resin. So good. Yeah, good. that is the plan. Earth Elemental purchasers are going to be happy about that one. <laughs> They're so heavy. Yeah. And it helps if you take people off of metal casting and put them into resin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fewer, fewer operations to manage, then, right? The salamanders. Right around the corner. When are we getting those? Salamanders are actually at the end of this month. Uh, they're going to start shipping on the 26th. So lots of good there. I think that the, the Rhinosaur Cavalry are going to be really popular. Uh, those are some chunky, chunky models. I've seen some, you know, they're expensive. Well, the models are pretty, as you say, chunky. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of resin. It's a lot of resin. It's a lot of they resin. Fill the base. Well, let me ask you this. How many different poses are in that kit? You got three models in it. Is it three? It's three poses. So yeah. three different rhinosaurs mm -hmm. and then three different riders? Yeah, yeah. Are the riders interchangeable? So you can yeah. take, okay, so it's not A to A mm -hmm. and B to B. To C. Okay. And, and that's a similar thing to what we did with the Dracons, and it became really important to us to realize that they needed to rank up better. Because when we do those designs in 3D, I know the studio makes them look at it in, in a horde of six. Even though, I mean, most people aren't putting the full, full model count on there. If they do, they need to make sure that they actually fit. Because we've made that mistake a few times uh, where things didn't fit on the base and it didn't make sense. I know several of the chariots and fight wagons and things like that that just didn't work at all. So... It, that, that's been an attention to detail. Tiny little things. you got to learn. And, and everything, 
it gets slightly better every every time we, we come out with a new kit and we, we learn from our past mistakes. You'll never see something like the Fiends again. I don't think you'll see things like what happened with Vanguard with the, the mixed uh, PVCs and resins in the, in the box that we can't sell them in Kings of War. So the, all those have to happen as part of the growing pains, but really uh, I think that we're in a much better place just even a few years down the road from where we were. Well, I think well, even thing, just the, saying multiple poses is already growth, right? Whereas we didn't see that in something like the Snow Trolls. And, and that's an issue. That keeps people away from buying them, for sure. Well, not everybody. And we got the shirtless wonder, Austin Casey. He, he's oh, got Austin. 90 of them, and they're all in the same pose. So, I don't know. Keeps some people. Yeah, yeah. Not, not as many as uh, Rose Gordon on Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're definitely going to give her a shout-out. She's uh, down to 420 minis. Down to 420 minis to finish over the weekend. Does she have like a like a, a labor factory in the back that like I don't know like a machine with a bunch of brushes? Not nah, does it all itself. It's amazing. That's good stuff. That's the thing I want to I want to paint up a halfling army, but I don't want to actually paint it. Rob, you've been dealing with that. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of a lot of models. Yeah. They're small. I mean, my eyesight's bad. You do it bad. You hire the small children. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I need. I need to get somebody to actually paint it for me. That that would be great. If any any listeners out there want to paint a halfling army for me, I'll send it all to you and I'll give you a nice little commission. Well, let's talk about the halflings. You guys are. Ch- it's an interesting test you're doing mm-hmm. where you've got the mixed sprue, right? As you got infantry and cavalry on one sprue. I want to see that going forward. Uh, I, I think I alluded to it earlier uh, on this, where you know it's the ten and five on the sprue. People liked having their cavalry options, and, and we haven't been doing that. So, well, what, what's the advantage of doing that rather than two sprues? Like, what what's the advantage of mixing it together on one sprue? I think it's 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 buying power more than anything because you know from from Mantic's perspective, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes the cost of the sprue cheaper. It's it's roughly the same, just because cavalry can. But be you're expensive. only buying one sprue versus two separate sprues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cavalry, you know, you're essentially even though it's five models, it's it's ten models. You have the the, the mount and the rider. Uh, where the infantry, you have a ton of variety. And, and the great thing is, is that you can take that variety and apply it to the cavalry models. So, you know, you guys just talked about monopose stuff. Uh, having kits like that mean that you suddenly have a ton more creative license in how you put those models together. And, and that is a huge... Are there pieces of the rider that can be used... For the foot versions right. and vice versa. Right. Yeah. That's that's the big deal. So it, the riders can have the weaponry from the foot versions. If you want riders with guns, if you want riders with, you know, melee weapons, you can do it that way. So lots of ways that you can swap and, and have some creative conversions. And and I think that that's something that Mantic and Kings of War has been missing quite a bit. And it's probably why other people look at or people look at other manufacturers for a lot of their models. And it's a big deal to us. You know, one of my tasks when I come to Masters, Ronnie wants me to go around the room and see how, how many, many armies Mantic, are yeah. Mantic, yeah. Uh, because we know that people love the game, but how many people are actually bringing... Well, you just got to make the Fleabag Riders, right? In, in plastic. People will scoop them up at some point. Well, from a, from a personal point of view, maybe not necessarily Mantic, how, how much do you see 3D printing threat? Right now, it, it's not a huge thing in my mind. Um, there are certain things. I know that there was a Patreon that just finished for basically Lizardmen models. And, uh, you know, one of my store owners told me I'm not going to actually pick up the Salamanders because the two guys that wanted to play them just printed off a whole bunch of Lizardmen from this, this, you know, thing that they just finished. 
Uh, so it, it, sometimes it does impact sales. Uh, and I know that it's it's all a part of it. And with Kings of War having the you know model agnostic approach that people can just bring what they want, uh, there are people that are going to take it and do those sort of things with it. And I, I think it's on our radar. I, I know that we we think about it, but at the same time, we are just trying to produce cool miniatures that uh, people want to buy. You know, it's funny. We're, we're going to have this conversation in a future episode with the store owner, three D printing, and it's a fact. I wonder though. Think back to the MP3 days, right? A lot of people stole MP3s. They had no intention of actually buying the models, right? So it, it's it, it's it's hard to sift through the, the reality. Like, where did you really lose sales? Yeah, I mean, you've got an example that you just had, which is a legitimate one. So it's gonna be interesting to see the future. I, and Mantic's obviously got a stake in it, but obviously store owners, right? You know, uh, we had a store owner, and uh, dude shows up playing Blood Bowl with a 3D printed team. It's like, well. Where do I make my money? Like, if, I'm not charging you to play here, but I'm paying for the overhead. Where, where, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. You know, uh, I mean, maybe in the U.S. we get rid of playing at stores. I don't know. And, and that's that's all part of it. Yeah, and at some point there's got to be responsibility on the players too, right? You want a company to exist by their models, right? You know, don't go the, don't go the what might be at face value, a relatively cheaper option, but support the company that produces the game that you like. And, and some people, cost is probably the major motive factor. Right, yeah, Co- cost, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, is you got to keep producing great models, right? You know, I think the more models you, you know, once at some point, you know, elves might get redone, you know, who knows? Um, you know, I actually don't mind the elves. I, I have an elf army, it's fine. Uh, but, you know, oh, it's aesthetics, right? Art is in the eye of the beholder. I think at this point, it's like when you when you get like a Mantic resin in hand and you look at a three, even a high quality 3D print, like the cast resin still is a higher quality product. So I think totally. 3D printing is not there yet. Where the the at home 3D printing, sorry dude, it's not up. To, it's not at the same level of resin casting. It's just not. Now, five years from now, right? We might have a different a different discussion, but that's why I continue. To, I mean, I bought all the luggets. Because they're great. I think that, you know, <laughs> Michael kept ordering those, and I was like, oh, those are going to rob. Uh, it, it's it's a situation where I think that quality is probably the biggest determining factor, because if, if you know that the models are better quality and you're willing to pay for them, then that's what you're going to do. And if you're looking to save some money, uh, the 3D print kind of makes the most sense. And... It also comes down to what you actually want to collect and buy. If you really do genuinely like the way that something in a 3D print looks, that's a good thing. And, and, and the deceptive part to me is that you see those 3D renders and they're nice and crisp in the 3D render, but then right. you actually go. Well, then you print, print it out. You're like, oh, I see the lines, and yeah, yeah it's yeah, not yeah. quite as not quite as good. And and you know we do the same kind of thing because everything's shown off as as a render before it's shown off as a painted model. Uh, from what I've seen, though, it's it's still pretty close when it comes to the. Well, you guys 3D are three D printing your mm-hmm. masters, but that's not a, that's not the same printer that we got at no. home, right? Yeah, that's that's a different animal with no very different. Fine, technology. fine, very fine. Yeah, those those master mold makers and what they do uh, at HQ to kind of put things together that that's all wizardry to me. I, I I saw Ricky doing it at our HQ, and it was like. I don't know how you do this stuff. It's yeah, really- does Ricky have the best voice in the world? Oh I, my yeah. god, it's amazing! It's like it's a Disney <laughs> villain, right? Like, it's amazing. I love it. It's perfect. So, Carl, I guess finally, so is Halflings what you're most excited about this year, or is there something else? You guys love doing this to me, don't you? Right now, <laughs> uh, 
right now halflings look good, but that uh, nah, that nah, shadowy nah, outline nah, has nah, me nah, has me nah, pretty nah, excited. Nah, the, the Clash of Kings book yeah, is what has me really really excited because I, I mean it, it is going to shake this game up a lot, and and, and that's I, I think that it, it's all going to be positive. That's a bold statement. We had a long discussion last night about the rate of change your business model versus GW's. Sure. And one of the things we said is, you know, obviously you don't change very much. Right. And something, you know, th there's the potential for something to get stale mm -hmm. or a meta to stay in place for a long time. So we're ready for the big shakeup. Exactly. That's, that's what I believe the pulse is right now in the game overall. And it, it, it's a book. I think a lot of people get their updates just by doing Easy Army, you know, and that's fine. But this book is going to have a lot of value in it. And... Uh, it, it's one that I think just people are going to be completely excited about. A every single faction is going to have something to be happy about. Uh, do you think this, that's you think the real this would fun. be the single greatest, single greatest shakeup since second edition started? Yes, absolutely. Even more than third edition. Yeah. Okay. This this is the real yeah, I, I, this is the real meat and potatoes of third edition. Interesting. Very interesting. W w would it be fair to say that this is Kind of more moving third edition to where you wanted it to be. Yes, absolutely. That's that's exactly what the direction was. Matt's got Vanguard, dabbled in Armada. Obviously, Overdrive's internally developed. When's when's your when's your next when's your game coming out? The, the my game your like, game my my yeah. Isn't that like a requirement if you work for Matt to get a game? Uh, Rob was talking to me about doing something for Fantasy next year in sort of that fall time slot, and there've been kind of deliberations about what that could look like uh, but I'm not 100% sure what it would be uh, so I would love to hear ideas you know you guys want to talk about that create a thread on Countercharge Facebook group or something like that give me some ideas here is it potentially is it potentially tied to that license you mentioned last year <laughs> well not not quite this this would be purely I think we could keep it in the Kings of War range Uh Okay. There's a, there's a there's a license that I I want us to get really bad, uh, an IP that is very important to me. But we unfortunately lost uh, its creator very recently. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's that's going to be a harder one to achieve. We actually were really close on it, but it didn't. Uh, that that's going to throw a huge wrench in things. Uh, so, we'll, we'll see. I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Because if if that was the case, that's a hundred percent my answer. That's where we're going. And since most people don't know what Alex okay. and I are talking about, uh, we were trying to work with Dark Horse to uh, get Berserk, which is a huge the thing. The anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, did, I didn't want to say it if, if, if you didn't want to say it. So. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's so up in the air. It's so up in the air that it's, it's, we're unsure. You know what I mean? So. Well, you guys have got a good relationship with Dark Horse, though. Yes. Right? And, yeah. uh, I mean, with tons of stuff. For Umbrella Academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Umbrella Academy. Is, is that ever coming? What's, when's that coming? Is there, they're still doing a lot of development with the, the game itself. Okay. I actually did a, a wonderful tabletop simulator session with, with Ronnie and some of the people that were working on the rules. Is Alessio that James Hewitt doing the rules? or? Uh, no, no, no. These were other people that were doing it. I, I don't remember their names, so I apologize to them. But uh, we, we did a, a fun tabletop simulator session where we did it. And it's it's this really interesting kind of roundtable way of playing a game. Um You've got cards for your characters that have special abilities, and uh, we, we played it, and Alessio was trying to explain certain rules to us, and I was a little lost, but I was happy. Alessio, to, that's yeah, an yeah, interesting yeah. name yeah. we haven't heard in a while, right? Yeah. 
uh, so we had some really nice game designers that were involved in that process and got to see it. And so I, I know it's coming along very well. Uh, the Kickstarter is really where it's going to be splashing. What, what are we so. thinking? Is it uh, this year's Kickstarter? I, I think it'll be next year. Okay. Yeah. So what you're saying instead for Kings of War is we'll probably end up with a Kings of War card game called Fretz Queen. You know, the thing that I would like to see is we have Vanguard that at its heart, I think, was supposed to be that entry level for Kings of War, but that's not what it ended up being. You know, it, it's its own game. It's it's a standalone experience, and it's not the intro level for Kings of War. So Vanguard's got its own direction, and that's great. But what do we do, and what can we do as an early-level Kings of War? I mean, it, it, the, the base level is, okay, let's just scale it down to smaller points, because that's a good introduction. Uh, but what can we do to get new players in right away and then really transition them into the mass battle approach because there's so many models and so many things you have to collect. It, that's The that's, barrier to entry is high, yeah, right? That's still Even the hardest Even if it's inexpensive, right? It's, you know, it's a time commitment. Yeah. It's painting. And you want it to be transferable too. Like you don't Rules wise. It yeah, it's like it's like getting a demo for a yeah, video game. Yeah, it sucks when you like put all this effort into the demo, you buy the, the actual retail copy and none of, none of it transferred over. Right. You're like, I just wasted two or three hours. Yeah. I'll tell you what could fill that space. Ten mil. Yeah, yeah. We we that's I mean come on. It's oh, it's ripe. We, I feel we've like talked about it. a bit more niche from my yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. It currently scales it's so like well. The historical got well, yeah, it you doesn't have to be that much. Too. We need to ask the question we, we, we always ask, and we already know the answer. But where's the historical book, right? Yeah. That's the that's the question that gets ballied about. Me personally, it's not on my radar. That's I, I think that Matt wanted to do it. I think Ronnie wanted to do it, but it, right now there's so many other things that we focused on. Will it happen? Possibly. It's always been a possibly when they talk about it. So uh, I, I think that there's. I've talked to real historical gamers at conventions, and they've looked through the book, and they're always like, nah, this, is how, this isn't how that would work. Um, they're very, very hardcore on it, and I think what we ended up seeing was that more Kings of War players just wanted to import the armies that were in that book into Kings of War. So that's the question. Do you really want it to be a historical game that plays with Kings of War rules, or do you want it to be uh, basically a, an expanded Kingdoms of Men book? Right. You know? Well, I mean, it's it, it's a cinematic experience, right? It's yeah. a it's a movie version of the reality, right? And I don't think you really want it to be a real historical game because there's already games to do there's that. Tons to do that, yeah. and that doesn't. I don't think you add anything to the space. From a fantasy point of view, like I I, I really like hearing that. I think you know, about not not spending that time on a historical book. I prefer to see that investment to the core game. I I think that we know it's a fantasy IP and we want to keep it that, but historical gamers did have some liking to it, and it's not been killed, I'll say that. The idea hasn't been shut down completely. We just need to get some of those good things like Fulcrum. You know, there's some some of those things in there that you just got to pull them in, man. Right. You guys did some interesting things in that book. It sounds like with Clash of Kings being so large this year that it wouldn't be smart to do it after that update anyway. Right. You can only add so much. It, you know, yeah. you, you don't want to spill over and make things just absolutely crazy. So there, there were elements of Clash of Kings that we had at the start of the process that we've since taken out because of the fear that it could be too much. So it, you, you got to make sure that you inject the right amount of excitement and good before you completely just knock the thing over and everyone's like, It's ah, too late to think about the response from the community when if it's a really big change. I mean, they blow up over the minor stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see Fanatics 
when you unveil this new. It's gonna be. <laughs> it's no longer. It's yeah. revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff, That's though. I think that people will be happy and excited. In this new Clash of Kings, Carl, are we seeing the return of anything we might have seen before? Yes. Just yes. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of deserve that answer, really, yeah. Matt. Yeah. yeah. That's a yes I or no was question. I trying to be subtle and give him the opportunity. <laughs> I, I to think incriminate there, himself, right? I get it. There, there are uh, certain things that I think people have been yearning for or missing, and I think that that's <laughs> important that we kind of help bring that back into the game. Okay. So you're saying stampedes are coming back? <laughs> I mean, well, they don't need to be, right? We have Minotaur chariot horns, yeah, yeah. right? Like, that's all you need. Uh, yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. There, there, there might be a caveat that says you can't use dollar store minis for this this unit. You can't use. <laughs> it's no funny. Toy horses allowed. It's funny. We joke, but like, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but like, some of the new competitive products, the the new Age of Sigmar says in the book, you can't use proxies unless your opponent says yes. You can't use unpainted models unless your opponent says yes. So it, it's, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of companies that are getting into that space where they're trying to put a rule on it. It's hard, right? And, and uh, obviously, yeah. with Mantic's figure agnostic approach, it makes it doubly hard. So The approach really is that we know it's your hobby, and, and however you want to enjoy it, that's, that's on you. We, we all spend a lot of money and time, and at the end of the day, we just want people playing our games. Because ultimately, if you're playing it, if you've got three armies from three other manufacturers and you really like it, you'll eventually go, you know what, I need an all-mantic army. Right. Well, that's the hope, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, you know. It's like we go back to that discussion where it's like you pay where you play. Like if you want to play in a store, you have to actually buy stuff from the store. And if you want to play the game, you actually have to buy antique models. Like I've been guilty of using non-mantic models for my last two armies, but... Even I've come around. I have an orc army that's on the burner, back burner now. You have to put your money where your dice is. I think that uh, if if we get certain people in the community, those big you know names, I can't tell you how many great acts we've sold since Eric won last year. Like things like that do a lot for sales. So what you're actually saying there is that Rob should stop buying Westphalia and buy Mantic. <laughs> hey, to be fair, <laughs> dude, that was not an option when I built Halfling. He started way before they were announced. That speed he's been painting was Halfling in their five years, right? Well, yeah, 10 years from now I'll be done. Yeah, 11 years. I know you're excited about Flash Kings as like a big thing for the year. What's your like top what's, what's the most thing you're most excited about in you just you're just trying to get more out of this. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to come on and do a whole special on the book at some point. Uh, it's Masters Weekend. We got to. We got to. When once we already know from the book, Kyle, we need the exclusives. <laughs> certain certain. I mean, main, somebody in your position knows about marketing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Certain main gameplay mechanics are, are are changing in the game. So you know, uh, one example I'll give you is. Things like conditional inspiring, when you have inspiring, you know, with a keyword only or inspiring for war engines and things like that, it kind of limits your builds because sometimes you want to take a character and you don't take it. Like for me, Cronebound Sorceress in Twilight Ken, she only inspires the Cronebound stuff and you have to throw an inspiring talisman on there if you want more of that. So think about how much it would change the game if you just 
got rid of con- conditional inspiring, and it was just inspiring. Are you saying that we won't have to think about that anymore? Yeah. So what about keywords? We've got a bunch of keywords that are not in the game. We're going to see some of those coming in. Yeah, we, we, we tried to find new ways to implement how keywords can get benefits. So you're going to see that with a whole new gameplay mechanic and using the keywords, additional auras, things like that, that we know can activate the units uh, with gameplay-wise. And halflings are, are the real good example of that. They, they've got that tinker keyword, and there's tons of play they can use off of that. They're a good example. But it's kind of limited. You know, you, you've got it in Undead with the zombie keyword and how it works with the necromancers. Uh, but it's not everywhere, and, and we're trying to introduce it into places that it wasn't before. So it was done successfully in a few places, but not all the all armies and factions. Spellcaster levels. Yeah, that's it's absolutely going to matter. You're going to see something? All right. There's a lot from Halpy's Rift that's going to be carried over. So if you haven't gotten that book, take part in the summer campaign because we're doing a lot with that. Yeah, that's coming up at the end of August, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's coming up. What is something from Helpy's Rift that's definitely carrying over to Clash of Kings? Spellcaster levels. That's what we just said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, what, but, definitely, but, what, but what else? <laughs> I actually was just looking at my iPad. But no, what, something else. Definitely um, certain spells, I'll say. Some things might get a little tweak because in, in Helpy's Rift they were sort of thrown to the wind uh, with balance you know it doesn't do whatever you want have fun with it and do some crazy things but there are some things in that in that spell list that i think people could use in competitive play and it's it's nice and balanced so they're getting slight tweaks but they'll come over as well and i think that uh having the availability of them in the spellcasting tiers one two and three and what you purchase and uh that's that's a big deal so that's that's something i think people will be happy about just the basic spells to add some flavor uh some some of the artifacts that are in there obviously are going to come into play. I think th- things like the the wizard's hat where you can just give it to a character and suddenly they're at least a spellcaster one. That makes it kind of fun. So how are you uh, going to nerf wing it appropriately? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've, heard, we've heard lots of discussion. We've had Jeff O'Neill and Travis on this weekend and we've heard lots of, yeah. We don't want to nerf wing it. It's, it's fine. They're, they're good. It's a good selling model out yeah. So when are you oh, going to... I know. Exactly. I know. I know that. That's exactly. <laughs> so when are you gonna up your game so you can play the Masters? I can't, man. I have to be here to represent like this. That's the well, thing. then that's a great excuse. That's the excuse. You yes. never have to actually be successful on the table. Yeah, it's it's gotten way harder for me to play in general. You know, I played with Jesse. That that's that's who I played with. That's who I practiced with. Everything in between, bounced ideas off of, and and I don't have. Well, let's that. talk about that. Yeah, Mantic donated a ton of Jesse models. Every player got a Jesse model. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Did uh, did Mark give away the uh, the fun with that yet, or is that still left to be? Announced? He has not said. He has not announced anything. Fun. Okay. So there there is another thing that I'm sure will be announced at the end of this. Uh, that's a part of that. So awesome. Yeah, Jesse's. This, this one. This won't release till after, so can you tell us? Okay. Uh, so the the proceeds from that, we sold that basically at cost, so yeah. that, that you know, the production of the models was fine, everyone gets a player, but we obviously did make a profit because the, the tournament bought it at full cost. And so what we're doing with all of that money is that we are going to be sponsoring less privileged players to go to events that they otherwise wouldn't be able to go to. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Which is something that was important to Jesse because Jesse, you know, in, in that last year, he really wanted to go to as many places as possible, but cost was a concern for him. So the idea was we wanted to get people to go uh, to events, you know, it, it, it could be anywhere, you know, they, they want to go to that 
are hard to do financially. So the, the money that we made extra from that, we are going to help put together and make sure that uh, th- those players can do that. That's awesome. It's expensive, right, yeah. to go to events like this, um, especially for some of the region. I mean, it depends on where it's located. We move this thing around a lot. And, uh, you know, Pacific Northwest, God bless them. They have to travel yeah. far That's every tough. time. And it's a, not, not a cheap, you know, expedition that they're on. Jesse, though, a lot of Jesse armies here, a lot of Absolutely. tribute armies. Yeah. Obviously, you've already seen some of them, like Jeff Swans, yeah. but uh, any, any stand out? I, I think that the amount of love that he gets is fantastic. I actually talk to his mom on Facebook Messenger all the time, and I send her pictures of these things, and she's so sweet because she it, she just wants the memory of him to live on. And when she sees those things, you know, I sent her a picture of back of uh, George O'Connell's shirt. Um, tiny things like that are, are, are really nice, and it just means the world to his family. Uh, I had never met his dad before his funeral, and after meeting him, Everything about Jesse, his humor, his mannerisms, the way that the guy moved and raised his eyebrows when he was talking to you was his dad. That's funny. And Jesse just asked me over and over again, just make sure that you take care of them, make sure that you, you know, they're, they're still playing games and going to events and doing things. And I want to keep them involved and get them into things. The, the, the way that people here uh, continue to honor him and continue to do fun little tributes with models and <laughs> mammoths and pizza. Mammoths and, 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 and I, don't, I, I lost count of how many shirts are out there. Yeah. The Pizza Jesus shirt is uh, very, very common in this room. It's it's just good stuff. It's It's been really tough, honestly. Losing him just as a friend, he was a huge part of what kept me plugged into Kings of War. Uh, kept me filming with, with Mastercrafted. You know, even on the days well, that I did Well, your credentials work. too, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he was pure entertainment, and having that was great. And he, he did nothing but encourage me, you know, he, to, to apply for the job, to, to do everything that I've done with it. Uh, it bounced ideas back to me on design or, or things that I could send to the studio. Uh, he, he, was, he was so much bigger a part of this than I think anyone even knew. So to see that model getting passed out, to see the designs that were on it, the amount of pre-orders that we had for it. Crazy. Yeah. Mike sold so many. It was just unbelievable. And that was everywhere. I mean, yeah, everywhere. I think, I think, you know, Jesse's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Right? We were lucky to have him and in, in, to have him as part of the game, and, and I was lucky to have him as a friend. I think that's a good, as, as, we're, all, as we're all cheering up, it's probably a good way to send us out. And uh, so until next time, keep going and charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. Woman, where's my super suit? Why do you need to know?